Okay, good morning everybody. I'm uh, going to share and Paul and Katie are very kindly going to give out some notes. I'm sorry I don't have any pretty pictures this morning to come up on the screen. You'll just have to look at me instead. Sorry about that. Um, but I do have some notes uh, which may help you because there are a number of different Bible passages I want to refer to. And uh, the reason we produce these notes is not just so that you can throw paper airplanes, um, but it's so that hopefully if there's information, you don't have to try and write it all down and remember. But what I do suggest is if you've got a pen, that it, and, and, and I say something that you think, oh, that's worth remembering, you know, or I should think about that some more, just make a note and take it home. So it might be an idea to stick your name on the top of the notes. That way, if you leave them here, we'll know who's um, not interested. No, no, we'll, we'll you know, we might be able to, uh, you know, we won't lose them. So um, we are starting a brand new series, and the series is based on a book called Surprised by Hope. This series is all about hope. I wonder how hopeful you are feeling this morning. I wonder if you sat and thought about your life and about the future on a scale of one to five, where one is pretty desperate and five is wonderfully hopeful. I wonder where you are on that scale. You don't have to tell me. You can hold up fingers if you like, but no, that's fine. Just have a think about this. I wonder, are you a, the glass is half full person or are you a, the glass is half empty person? What would you say? We're starting, as I said, this series on hope. The dictionary definition of hope is this, a feeling of expectation, a desire for a particular thing to happen. Hope is when we want something to happen and we think that it could happen. You might use other words in place of hope like aspiration or desire or wish or expectation. It's my ambition or it's my plan or it's my dream that such and such would happen. A guy called Cicero, who was a Roman philosopher, said, while there's life, there's hope. And another guy called Dale Carnegie said this, most of the important things in the world have been accomplished by people who have kept on trying when there seemed to be no hope at all. So hope is a powerful force. It's a powerful force. It's all about how we look forward into the future but it has massive implications on how we look at now, how we view and handle our current circumstances. I wonder what you're hoping for right now. Are you hoping that your team will win the Premier League? Depending on who your team are, that may be a little bit beyond the realms of hope. Are you hoping for a pay rise at work? Are you hoping for physical health? Are you hoping that you live long enough to see your grandchildren grow up, if you've got grandchildren? Are you hoping that you make enough money to retire comfortably on? What about the big questions that people ask about the future? What's going to happen after I die? Is there anything after all of this? Is there any meaning or purpose to my life? What am I living for? And even if you're a believer in Jesus, I bet you've probably asked yourself on a number of occasions, is my faith real? Am I really saved? Am I going to go to heaven? What, what is heaven anyway? And where is it? Will Jesus really come back? Can I believe what the Bible says about that? We've just sung a verse this morning. I stopped and made a note. He shall return in robes of white. The blazing sun shall pierce the night. And I will rise among the saints, my gaze transfixed on Jesus' face. It sounds wonderful. It makes me want to kind of worship. But I did actually wonder, what, what does that really mean? 
And we'll get to that next week or the week after. (laughs) But exploring these kinds of questions is a key to understanding the ultimate hope that we as believers in Jesus have at our disposal. We're going to explore them over the next few weeks. We're basing our material, as I said, on this book, Surprised by Hope, which is by Tom Wright, who is one of the most incredible Bible teachers and thinkers this country has ever produced. You may know him as N.T. Wright or Tom Wright. He's the same person. And um, some of the life groups are actually, I know at least three life groups that are going to take this up and do it as a series. Um, there are some talks that you can look at online. And um, there is a little sort of study book. I actually have three spare ones here. So if anybody's sort of got a bit of time on their hands and as a result of this morning's talk wants to go a bit deeper, come and see me afterwards. I've got three I can give you give away this morning. Tom Wright highlights the many and varied beliefs that people have about what happens after they die in our society. Do we come back in some way? Do we go to heaven? Do we have immortal souls? How does that whole thing work? And he demonstrates that there are all kinds of beliefs out there in the world. And even among those of us who are believers in Jesus, who are Christians, there's still quite a confusion about what we believe the Bible says about what happens. Most people, this is Tom Wright quote, most people, in fact, it's on your sheet. Most people in my experience, including many Christians, don't really know what the ultimate Christian hope really is. And so we're going to take a few weeks to look at this subject. And he basically asked two questions. The first question is, what is our ultimate future? What is our ultimate hope as Christians? What does that look like? And the second question is, in the light of that, what hope do we have for the world that we live in now? And these two are really, really, really clearly connected. What hope do we have for change, for rescue, for transformation in this present world? Many believers don't even realise how connected these questions are, but that's what they are. And so this is a six-part series. We're going to do three parts this month, then we'll take a little break, and then we'll do three parts in March. And today's is called Hope for the World, and the different titles are there on your sheet. So by way of introduction to this series, I want to look at what the Bible says about what hope there is for the world, for this world, the world that we live in. You see, when you look around in society, you could be forgiven for thinking or wondering if there is anything to hope in at all. Our world seems to be experiencing all kinds of economic and natural environmental disasters. It's been that way as long as I can remember. And especially the news feeds just kind of keep feeding us this stuff. It seems like there is always at least one, if not more, massive crisis going on in the world whenever, whatever, whatever time of day, whatever time of the year it is. We have experienced major floods and disasters and wars and famines. We have lived through international terrorism. We've lived through 9-11. We've lived through tsunamis. Just devastating events. Earthquakes, political unrest, the banking crisis, poverty, economic migration, refugees, war. Reflecting on all that's going on, it's not hard to understand why some people really struggle with having any hope at all. It's a paradox for us Christians sometimes, or it might feel like that, because it's hard to make sense of all this stuff. And yet, as believers in the Bible, we are called to be hopeful. The Bible tells a bigger story. And yet we don't always have our heads around what that is and how it works. What is our ultimate hope and how do we make sense of it now as christians throughout the course of history there have generally been two key main responses to this question 
And Tom Wright describes them as the secret code approach and the escape the world approach. One approach to answering this question from a Christian perspective says this, the Bible is kind of like a secret code which will give us clues to everything and to how everything is going to pan out as long as we can decode it. Some people say that in the Bible you can see passages that refer to certain national and international events in history, that you can look at something that's happened in the world and say, there's a passage in the Bible that speaks prophetically to that. Now, I'm not, I'm not dissing that. I don't know, honestly, if it's true. At best, it's hard to interpret. It could well be true. But I'm sure that it isn't the only way to read and understand the Bible. Because if it is, then we've got some really tricky work to do decoding some quite obscure passages to figure out what's going on. And that, there may be something there, but I'm not sure it's the, the, the best way or the easiest way to read this stuff through the Bible. Another approach says escape the world. Some people say that having read the Bible, the ultimate hope is found by actually leaving this world behind and going off, off to another place which is called heaven. That ultimately this world is doomed and done for, and so it won't matter if we don't try to do anything to fix it. That we're, we're all going to escape to some new place. We don't need to worry about the economic crises and the wars and the famine and the environmental disasters. We can allow this world to fall apart and disintegrate, get polluted and ultimately die because it's, it's going that way anyway. And why would we bother? We're going to a better place. There are a lot of people who believe that. Um, and while the Bible does indeed suggests that there is more to life than simply this world, I'm not sure that you can read all of that into the Bible. It's, that's, not really, that's not really reading it as, as it should be read. We can't ignore what's going on here and escape to some place called heaven. That's not what the Bible's about. So neither of these approaches are very satisfactory in answering this question. There is more to explore. And Tom Wright says this, he says, many Christians grow up assuming that whenever the New Testament speaks of heaven, it's referring to a place where the saved will go after they've died. But the language of heaven in the New Testament doesn't work that way. God's kingdom in the preaching of Jesus refers not to some sort of post-mortem destiny, not to our escape from the world into another one, The language of God's kingdom is about God's sovereign rule coming here on earth, on earth as it is in heaven. Now, to be fair, not to be fair, nothing. don't know why I said that. Today as an introduction, I want us to look at four passages in the Bible. And I've reproduced them all on your sheet for you. And these are just four. There are loads more. But they are just passages that point to the kind of future that God is promising us which shows us something about ultimate hope, something we, can, something we can put our faith in and our trust in. The first one is in Psalm 96. You see, the Psalms are like the hymns and songs of God's people, written and sung thousands of years ago and for thousands of years to help us remember and reflect on our story with God. This psalm, Psalm 96, is a hymn of praise. It celebrates God's kingship over all creation. The parts before these verses say, sing to the Lord a new song, tell of his salvation. He made the heavens, worship him in the splendor of his holiness. 
And then it goes on to these verses in verse 11 to 13, this glorious picture of the future that it describes. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. If you've been around church a few years like me, that'll remind you of a really dodgy old song. That the trees of the field will clap their hands. Sorry, I didn't prepare that, but it just reminded me of it. Anyway, put that out of your mind, the 70s sort of folkness of it all. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes, he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. This psalm paints a picture of a time when all creation will bow and worship the Lord. When all creation, such an incredible sense of God's glory and power that not just the people sing out in praise like we have this morning, the actual trees are also singing out in praise. That is some kind of party, right? I mean, you know, imagine coming down from something like that. What did I take last night? What was going on? <laughs> At this point, God's, the writer says, God is going to come and judge the earth. Now, some people hear that word judge, and they immediately think of negative connotations to the word judgment and judging. But in this context, and for this audience, God's judgment is a really good thing. It says he will judge the earth in righteousness and faithfulness. He is, his is the kind of judgment that puts bullies and oppressors in their place. His is the kind of judgment that comes with justice and fairness for people who have been treated badly. He cares for the poor and the oppressed and the downtrodden and the sick and the weak and the burdened and the refugees. That is the heart and the nature of God. The big story of the Bible is God created this perfect world. Somehow it all went wrong. And we managed to turn our backs on him. And so God began a redemption, a rescue plan, which ends up, which started with Jesus and ends up in a glorious restoration. And it's that glorious restoration picture that this psalm is looking forward to. Creation, fall, redemption, resurrection, the full story of God. He's promised to sort all this out one day. And sometimes we Christians, in our urgency to get people to believe in Jesus, we kind of only tell half the story. We reduce that because it kind of takes too long to say it. And we reduce it to simply the fall and redemption. You know, we have sinned or you have sinned and you need to come to Jesus and get saved. And that's not wrong, but it's only half the story. Sometimes we reduce it even further and we simply say, Jesus loves you. And that is true. And it's not wrong, but it doesn't describe the whole picture of God, which is the thing that gives us our eternal, awesome, incredible hope. Are we connecting? Are you with me? Great, you're all looking at me like, I'll take that as a good sign. Um, the whole story of God includes this wonderful picture of the future. And over the centuries, the Psalms have helped us to keep this image front and centre. And they've reminded us of this incredible hope we have in God. Moving on from Psalm 96, the prophet Isaiah writes about this promised Messiah who is coming to save God's people. He's talking about Jesus, 
the first part of God's rescue plan. I've just grabbed three or four verses out of Isaiah 11, which is quite a well-known passage and sometimes read around Christmas time. And it says, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might and knowledge and the fear of the Lord. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy and with justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. Again, here is a reference to the kind of righteous judgment that we can expect from God in the time when he comes when he is in charge. And Isaiah goes on to paint this incredible picture of the future. He says, this is what it's going to be like when God is in charge. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and the little child will lead them. In other words, as the world is restored, peace will come. The predator will lie down with the prey. Peace, shalom, will reign in heaven, and heaven and earth will be joined together. And Isaiah 2 is looking forward to a time when the kingdom of heaven and the world that we're in are merging together. And we do see signs of that. There are, the signs that we see of the kingdom are a foretaste of what is going to come gloriously. You know, when we see the presence of God or we experience his presence in our lives, just like we did this morning, that's a little foretaste of what's going to happen when heaven and earth merge. You know, when we see the sick healed, that's a joining of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth. When we see the poor and the downtrodden treated with dignity and honour and love, that's the kingdom of God manifest among his people. Those are signs of ultimate hope. And that's what we, God's people, are called to do, to be bringers and carriers and dealers in hope. Napoleon said, a leader is a dealer in hope. And many of us are called to lead, not just in the church. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in our, in our everyday workplaces. We are called to be dealers in hope. In the Gospels too, Jesus' message is very clear about heaven and earth. He doesn't teach us, leave the earth, give up on this world, go and enjoy heaven. That's not the message of Jesus that we read in the Gospels. Jesus' key teaching point about heaven in the Gospels is in the Lord's Prayer, which he instructed his disciples to read and to pray, not to read, sorry, to pray, a prayer that believers have said themselves for thousands of years. Matthew 9, it's there. This is how you should pray, Jesus says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus just didn't teach this. He demonstrated it. He multiplied food. He forgave sins. He healed the sick, cast out evil spirits, and yes, even raised the dead. All signs of what happens when God's kingdom of heaven comes to rule on earth. He broke some of the rules about what you're allowed to do on the Sabbath. The religious leaders were very, very upset about it, and they challenged him. What's, why are you doing this? He said, because this is God's kingdom and this is what happens when, when heaven and earth merge and this is what it's going to look like when God is in charge. And he read their scriptures back to them, Isaiah 61. We don't have time to go there now. There is freedom and release and transformation and recreation. And as well as demonstrating the kingdom, Jesus told stories to show just exactly what the world might be like when 
The real king came and took charge. He says the kingdom of heaven is like when a farmer sows a seed and his crops grow a hundredfold. No farmer knows how to do that. He said the kingdom of heaven is like when a tiny grain of yeast properly stirred in can affect and impact a whole batch of dough and create all kinds of fantastic bread. He said the kingdom of heaven is like when the prodigal son returns in shame and is greeted with an undeserved family feast. Grace and mercy. This is what it looks like when God is running the show. And the last passage that I want to point to, Revelation 21, John's picture of heaven and the future. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell in with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Tom Wright says, heaven in the Bible is regularly not a future destiny, but the other hidden dimension of our ordinary life. God's dimension, if you like. He says, God made heaven and earth, At the last, he will remake both and join them together. And when we come to this picture of the actual end in Revelation 21, this is Tom Wright talking about that Bible verse, we find not ransom souls making their way to a disembodied heaven, but a new Jerusalem coming down from heaven to earth and uniting the two in a lasting embrace. Isn't that an incredible picture? And as I said, we're going to start looking at the mechanics of how that works over the next few weeks, biblically, I mean. Throughout the Bible, from Psalms through Isaiah, through the Gospels, we didn't even look at the letters of Paul, and through to Revelation, we see that God's kingdom vision is for an earth restored and a people with hope, kingdom hope. It's kingdom hope that drives us to welcome strangers and refugees into our towns and neighbourhoods. It's kingdom hope that leads us to reach out in compassion to those who are struggling with whatever. It's kingdom hope that leads to a relentless and passionate pursuit of Jesus and our relationship with him. It's kingdom hope that helps us to stop and listen to the words of the Holy Spirit and act on them. It's kingdom hope that we carry when we're sent out from here as scattered servants, bringing it says it in our, on our website. Who are we? We're people who bring hope, hope and life to the people and communities to make a difference around us. It's kingdom hope that keeps us going when things get tough. Jesus says there may be trouble ahead. He didn't say it quite like that, actually. I think that was Cole Porter who said it that way. <laughs> he said, in this world, you may have trouble. You will have trouble. But the kingdom of God is greater. I've overcome it. It's kingdom hope that leads us to press into God with our daily troubles. It's kingdom hope that puts 
helps to put everything into perspective and deal with what's going on in the present day in the light of what we know about the future. Pressing in. It's kingdom hope that fixes our eyes on Jesus again, trusting there will be a day in the future when God really will be running the show, just as he intended it to be. When he'll reign with love and justice, when everything will get sorted out, the heavens and earth will be joined together. That's what Jesus taught. That's what Jesus started. That's what one day he's going to finish. And in the meantime, he's called us to live as if that were a reality. Kingdom hope is the currency that we need to follow Jesus. And the truth is, sometimes we lose sight of it. Or is it just me? Sometimes the circumstances of life or the stress of work or the complications of family or the pain of relationships or the frustration of long-term illness, sometimes all or some of those things cause us to lose sight of the hope that we carry. I can think of times in my life when I've begun to lose sight of hope. I remember when my dad died. I remember experiencing extreme stress and burnout. I remember when we were expecting a baby and the pregnancy ended before we thought it was going to. I remember when we didn't know where we were going to live in Winchester and we were supposed to be here. Times of stress when you can start to go, I'm not sure if I can see that hope still. Maybe you've got times in your own lives. Maybe you're in one of those times now. What do we do when we've lost sight of that hope? One more Bible passage, Hebrews chapter 10. One of my favourite passages. Let's draw near to God, the writer says, with a sincere heart, and the full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. And this is the key verse. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how may we spur one another on to want love and good deeds and not give up meeting together. In that passage, there are three things, three decisions that we can make to keep hold of the hope. The first one is draw near to God. Whether that's on your own, individually, whether that's coming to church, whatever that looks like for you, draw near to God. The second one is hold on to the hope we profess. Think of it like a map. You can do this on if you've got Google Maps on the computer or on your phone. You know, you can be when you open that app, it comes in as where you are now. But if you want to kind of figure out where you're going next. You just do, well, on my phone, you do this. And it kind of draws the picture. Do you know what I'm talking about? Draws the picture back, and you can start to see the bigger picture. And it's kind of like that's what we need to do sometimes. Instead of just focusing on where we are now, let's draw back and look at the, take a step back and think of the bigger picture. Remember those kingdom moments that we've lived through and experienced. Remember those foretastes of the future when God has broken in and we've experienced his presence and his power. If, you, if you've experienced anything like that, I really hope that you've written it down somewhere, journaled it, because it's such a good thing to go back to when, you, when you're losing sight of hope. What did, how did that feel? What did God say? And study his word, dig into this, dig into the Bible, dig into this series. And the last thing is to spur one another on. This is, this is a deal where we need to do the journey together. And it could be that you've so lost sight of the hope that you've allowed yourself to become isolated, relationally isolated. Some of the most difficult conversations that as pastors of a church, Joe and I need to have with people 
are when, for various reasons, they have lost sight of who they are, they've lost sight of where God is, and they're not really aware of it, and they've allowed themselves to become so isolated that actually when people do come towards them to try and help, they just kind of turn back and, you know, react. Those are really difficult conversations to have because we're trying to reflect graciously and lovingly. Do you know what? This is what we see, and all we're getting is, you know, people's pain. Don't get isolated. Don't play that game. You know, just press in. Join a group. We've just seen about life groups. Join a life group. Find some people you can trust. Go to the life group leaders and just say, this is me, this is where I'm at. Don't expect them to answer all your problems, but expect them to help you or listen to you. And the other thing is, don't expect other people to be the answer to your problems. Expect them to do the journey with you and point you back towards Jesus. Joe and I cannot be the people who help everybody who's struggling here. We'd love to be, but we can't. But what we can do is say, we will help you. We will point you back towards Jesus and we will sit with you while you restore or reconnect your hope to him. Does that make sense? We're almost done, I promise you. Be intentional. Make a good decision. Last story. I am currently training, as you know, because I talked about this last month, for a 10-kilometer running race. I hate running, by the way, but... I'm training for this race because I needed to have something to aim for. And this week we were away, as Joe said, and we were in Nottingham and we were staying in this place where we were on a canal. So I was able to do my run this week on a flat surface. I was able to run on the canal for about three kilometres and three kilometres back again, and that was kind enough for me. And that's fine, because when you're on the flat surface, you just kind of just keep plodding on, you know? I came back and yesterday I went for a run with my son, and Winchester is a lot more hilly, okay? And so... Um, Quite often when I'm running in Winchester, you've got to kind of run up a hill. And I used to walk up the hills. I used to just kind of, can't do this. And, and I kind of, as, I've, as my stamina and my fitness has improved a little bit, it's really not pretty and not much to write home about. But as it's improved a little bit, I've determined that when I get to a hill, I'm going to try and run up it. I don't run up it very fast, but my determination is I can keep running. I was running with my son who can walk up the hill faster than I can run up it. But I've got this new deal to myself. I'm going to run up the hill. And all it takes is, what's the next goal? Okay, well, I'll run to that lamppost. And then when I get to the lamp po- that lamppost, I think, right, I'll run to the next lamppost. And I just keep going like that until I get to the top of the hill. Then sometimes I stop for a walk. But that's different. Because I reckon that by leaning into the hill, I'm going to improve very slowly and gradually my fitness. How do I do that? What's the bigger picture that I'm holding on to? Well, it's what, there's one of them which is about finishing the 10K race and not being the last person in the race. That's kind of my goal. And beyond that, it's about being fitter and better stewarding my body and, you know, to the glory of God, all the stuff we were talking about last month. But it's the same with my emotional and my spiritual fitness. I need to know the end goal so that I hold on to hope. And then I feel like I need to lean into the hill. Do you know what I mean? If we're experiencing a particularly difficult situation, then by pushing into the hope that we profess... We're going to kind of, we're going to, we're going to train ourselves harder. Does that make sense? It's not a perfect analogy, but it's kind of what came to me when I was thinking about this talk and running yesterday. Desmond Tutu said, "Hope is being able to see that there is light despite all the darkness. It's having this mindset." Some of us need to lean into the hill. And if you're in that place today, we would love to pray for you. So why don't you stand?
So let's just pause again and we'll ask God what he wants to do with us. Mm. Holy Spirit, thank you for words of life through the Bible. And will you help us now just to understand what you're saying to each of us? How it is you want us to respond? Just pause and breathe you in again now. There are, of course, a number of ways that we could respond. A couple of people have mentioned things to me already today. And one is that it might be that you feel like that you have lost this kingdom hope. And you might just want to come back to God and say, I need you to, to show me afresh what it is. I think there are some other folk who... God wants to give you a picture of what it looks like when he's in charge, where he's put you. And that could be in your workplace, it could be in your family, it could be, be wherever you spend most of your time. But because you're there and you've given your heart to him, he's in charge of you, and so he's in charge in that space. You're a leader in hope. But at the moment, you don't quite know what that looks like, and so God wants to, to show you what that looks like where you are. And Chris also had a sense. Yeah, I feel that there are some people here who would just love that kind of hope that Nigel's talking about, that they've had a sense, something in their spirit and in, in their tummy just went, oh, I really want that, but I don't know how to get to it. I don't know how to feel it. I don't feel it now. And I just, I'd like to pray for us that, that you would feel that hope. So, so if you'd like to just pray this prayer along with me. Um, it's just a very simple prayer of just inviting Jesus to give us that hope. So Jesus, we thank you for your incredible love for us and what you went through in order to give us that hope. You, know, you went through death so that we might know you, so that we might have relationship with the Father. And I pray for each person here that they would receive that hope now. Just receive it. So pray along with me. Jesus, I want that hope. I want to know you as a friend. I want to follow your ways. Lord, change my life. Help me past all of the stuff that I've done before. Where I've been thinking about myself and not about you or anyone else. I invite you to have your way in my life. Holy Spirit, come fill me and give me the strength to do that. Amen. If you prayed that prayer in your heart for the first time, I'd love to talk to you. So just come and find me afterwards or find Joe or Nigel. Like it's been said, I know God wants just to um, kind of release hope. I just felt particularly in relation to um, just people. I just had an image earlier in worship, just of a, a kind of broken heart. Uh, and God just wanting to give um, just new hearts where, just, where you just feel broken inside and, and God wanting just to bring a new heart. So it might be that God's speaking to you about that stuff or there's something else. And one thing that we can do is 
to show that we... It, basically, I, I invite you to respond. Um, we have space at the front if you'd like to come forward, and there'll be some people here who can pray for you. Now, we've said before, there's nothing magic about coming to the front at all. In a really practical way, it keeps us away from the noise at the back if people are having coffee or if they're going to collect their kids, which we're going to do in a moment. But one thing that can be really helpful is actually it's a way of showing God, I'm taking seriously that you're doing something with me. I'm going to put aside my pride in this moment. I might look embarrassing. It might look awkward. People might go, oh, I wonder what she's gone forward for. But that's not what it's about. And so sometimes it can really help to step out of your seat and come to the front um, and as a way of saying, God, here I am, and I'm, I'm ready to do something with you. I'm, wait, I'm ready for you to, to work with me. So as a band play now, I just invite you, if you'd like to respond to any of those words or something different, if you've come today with a need um, for healing, we would love to pray for you for God to heal you today. If you've got any other need, then please come forward. And if you're in one of our life groups and you know how to pray for people, come out your seats now, please. Now's a good time to come because people are coming forwards now. And so they need to have some folk here who are going to pray with them. Okay, so it might be you want kingdom hope for the first time. It might be that you want God to give you a picture in your mind's eye about what hope looks like in your situation. You might be responding for healing. Or you might have another need. And whatever it is, please come forward now and the band are going to pray. And, you know, it's time to collect kids. So if you've got kids, now's a good time to go and get them. But don't let that put you off having prayer. So go and get your kids, bring them back, and then we'd love to pray for you after that. I want to invite folks who are from the church to come and just to come and stand with these folks and just to pray God's blessing on them, pray with them, pray for them. As I said, you know, the people who pray for you aren't going to give you hope. They're going to help you point to Jesus. I need more fellas and more ladies. I need at least three or four more ladies to come. If you're at the front, can you just take a step forward as well for me? Those of you who are at the front, just take a... You guys, just take a step forward. Just take a step forward to make a bit more space. Bless you. Bless you guys. That's it. Come, just step, step forward. That's great. Wonderful. God isn't done yet. He's not done yet. And there is plenty of time and space to respond to what he's saying. Um, an invitation to God for those who've had promises and their hope has started to fail them that they've grown weary in the waiting and um, you know it struck me obviously from Hebrews that God is faithful um, it says in Jeremiah that God is watching over his word to perform it he hasn't lost sight of, of that. He is still working on that. <laughs> From our perspective, it seems like the time is long, but he is faithful. So, so if that's you, why don't you just stand where you are? If you feel like, I, I want you to pray for those people, okay? Just to pray out. So if you feel, or even just open your heart to God. If you feel like you are somebody who has, is weary of waiting for some God to do something that he's spoken about, then just open your heart and I'm just gonna ask, um, I'm just gonna ask um, Helen to pray for you okay yeah father god we we come to you we look to you we look to you holy spirit would you come would you meet us in that place of that grieving of that growing weary we lift our eyes to you <clears throat> we trust that you, what you have spoken you will do <clears throat> We trust that your word is true. 
that your character is faithful and true. We trust that your kingdom promises to us will become reality in the fullness of time. And we trust the process, God, that you are at work in us. Um, you are at work in us to become all that you um, have in mind for us to be. We want to see your kingdom come in our lives and in every, of our, every area of our lives. We submit to your kingdom rule. You are our king. Help us, Lord, to keep our eyes fixed on you and to know the reality of your kingdom in our lives. Amen. Just had a couple of other simple impressions. Um, sometimes God speaks to us, uh, you know, he speaks to us regularly all the time. And I just have a few impressions of things that he might be saying to people. One picture I saw was for someone who has been sick for at least 10 years. They've had something that's been wrong with them for over 10 years and, and they've kind of lost hope that it's ever going to get better. And I'd encourage you to seek some prayer today for that because, you know, I believe that God's highlighted that to me and therefore there may be some healing for you today. Uh, the second one is I saw a picture of a smart watch on somebody's hand, but the, the arm itself was um, very wasted away. And it was a sense that there's someone here who has their life together and they're quite tech savvy. It's probably a man here. And I feel like, not because men are tech savvy, that's just the sense I got, but there was a sense that you, you, you're someone who has it all together on the outside, but on the inside, you're just bleeding. It's like your heart is bleeding. And I would encourage you to get some prayer today as well. And there's at least two people here, I think, who are on the brink of having an affair. I have a sense that there are two people here. I think it's either two men or one man and a woman. And separately, they're on the brink of having an affair. And, it's so, and they've gone to the point where they have almost had the thought of having an affair. And that's become, becoming reality to them. And they know that's wrong, but it's like they can't help it. It's in their head at the moment, but they're worried that they can't stop themselves taking the action, taking the first step. It's like they're on a path. And I think God's saying to both of you today, no, that is not the path you have to walk on. You know, I can rescue from this situation. I can rescue you. Whether you've been texting someone or whatever's happened, that it's happening in your head uh, and it's happening in your thoughts, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen in reality unless you take steps. So I'd encourage you, um, just ask, reach out and ask someone for help and uh, put a stop to that today with Jesus' help because he knows about it. So yeah, I'd encourage us to keep on praying at this point. Keep on, don't, don't leave without getting us uh, what you need from God today. Go, don't leave without um, uh, coming forward and responding to what he's doing in your heart. We're just going to continue to pray for a bit. The band's going to continue to play. If you haven't gone and get, got your children at this point, this would be a great time to do that, but you can, you're welcome to bring them back in and receive some more prayer later.
I will love. 